early in my role as a pastor, I came across this book called by Stephen Covey called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It became a very well-known book. In it, he surveys the habits of very highly effective people. And he came up with seven that he said, if you practice these, you will become highly effective in whatever you do, whether that's leading a business or being a father or being a mother or in your marriage or in your sports or in your ministry, these practices make us effective. Now, the second one, begin with the end in mind. As I read it, I decided to do what he recommended. I, I got away, I went and I had, went to this quiet restaurant, I had breakfast and I took time to ponder at the end of my life, at my funeral, what would I want people to stand up and say about me? So I wrestled that and, and, and what I thought that, that, that I would like people to say, what I thought I would like Jesus to say. And when I finally got some key thoughts down, it became very obvious to me how I needed to make decisions and what things I needed to do in my day-to-day -day living if I wanted those things to become true. In other words, I have to learn to live with the end in mind. So in the book of Thessalonians, Paul is helping the Thessalonians face a very extreme test, persecution. And in chapter four that we're going to look at in a second, basically that's what he's telling them to do. I want you to live with the end in mind. Now think about that for us, living with the end in mind. We're facing COVID and all the tests that come with this period of time that keeps extending and the feelings we get, the apathy that we're beginning to feel, the discouragement, the loneliness. Now the question is, how do I want to look back on this time and, and live and act? How do I want to look back with fondness? Well, then I have to live that way right now to be able to look back with rejoicing on this time. Or think about it as a parent. How do I want my kids to talk about me as a parent or us as a parent uh, when they're older. I love, uh, one of my favorite speakers is Andy Stanley, and uh, he, he shares in several of his sermons how he and his wife decided that the end that they wanted for their kids was that their kids would always wanna come back home, even after they'd grown up and were adults, that they'd still wanna be around them. And so all their discipline, all their events, how they handled their home, all lived and, and push toward that goal, that end that they had in mind, that their kids would always want to come back. Well, let's even go bigger than that. Someday we're going to stand and give account of, to Jesus Christ of our lives. And how do we want Jesus to respond to us? What do we want him to say? Do we want to hear him say, you know, you, you were, he was so faithful in, in the way that he served me. She was so kind and compassionate in the way she treated others. He was so truthful in the way he spoke. She was so teachable whenever I spoke to her. He was so obedient in what he did. He, had, he did. She, even though she struggled with sin, she was always willing to get back up and, and move forward. He was so forgiving. What do we want Jesus to say about us? If we want him to say those kinds of things about us, well then we're going to have to live that way right now. In other words, we have to live with the end in mind. So Paul writes, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. I came to Christ in my final year of high school and my friends from my Christian friends said to me, you know, Ed, you really should go to Bible school to get a year of grounding in your new faith before you go off into university, which I did. I came to Ontario from Prince Edward Island and was at Bible school. And it was the first time I'd ever been away and I was learning all these new things, concepts, stories I didn't know anything about. And I was really getting discouraged. I was getting lonely. Uh, I really felt like quitting. Well, it was the second weekend that we were there. We were headed for a retreat and I was in the car with a bunch of students and one of them began to play a song that I'd never heard before. It was a, a contemporary Christian song at the time. And uh, the, the words I'll never forget were, uh, you didn't bring us this far just to leave us. And there I was kind of sitting in my solitude, in my silence in the back of that car, ready to quit, feeling lonely, down in despair. And those words crashed through my soul and lifted me back up. Just because I didn't see what God was doing in my life didn't mean that he didn't care or that he had stopped working my life. He, he wasn't going to die on the cross and sacrifice himself for me and then just drop me. And that lifted me up. And from that point on, I was able to continue and finish that year of Bible school. That's what Paul is saying in verse 14 when he tells them that Christ died for you. He's saying, hey, look, Jesus sacrificed his life for you. He, he went to the cross for you. Do you think he's going to drop you? Do you think that death is going to be a problem for him? That he's just going to forget all about those people that died that are your friends? No way. He's got this and he's got you. He has an end in mind for you. Live thinking about that end. It occurs to me now in COVID that that might be really good advice for us too. Some of the side effects that we've been finding in about COVID is people are very anxious, fearful, um, depressed, uh, despairing, lonely, and are feeling like, God, why are you letting this happen? Why aren't you stopping this? Why aren't you helping me? And I just wanna say, just remember the words that Paul just gave to the Thessalonians that he died, Jesus died for us. He's not gonna just drop us. It's just like that song said, he didn't take us this far just to leave us. So in your struggles and in the sense of where you're wondering where God is at, understand and know that there's no way he's died on the cross and now is just going to drop you. Trust him, rest in him, and wait on him until he brings what he intends to pass. Paul continues and he writes to Thessalonians, according to the Lord's own word. Now just stop and think about that for a second. Paul's saying Jesus has promised that this is gonna happen. And Jesus makes exceptional promises and comes good on them. Think about it, it was Jesus that predicted that he would die, he would be crucified on a cross, but he would rise from the dead and then he pulled it off. And so this same Jesus that can pull off a resurrection is promising I'm gonna bodily return back to this earth. Now, if he can pull off a resurrection, he can pull off a return. And he says, uh, we tell you that we who are still alive, 
who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. You see, this was the problem that the Thessalonians had. What about our loved ones? When Jesus comes back, what's going to happen to them? They're going to miss it. We're going to be separated from them. We don't know what's happening. And Paul says, hey, just a sec. Don't worry about this. Jesus has got it. It doesn't matter if you're alive or you're dead. When Jesus returns, Jesus has the end in mind. He knows what is going to happen. And then he, Paul explains it. He says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. So three things he says here. So Jesus himself is going to come down from heaven. So he is going to be descending. And when he starts descending, this archangel is going to shout. And then at the same time, or shortly after, we're going to hear this huge blast from the trumpet of God. And I think that is trying to communicate to us that everybody in the world is going to hear this, at least everybody who ought to hear it, which is the followers of Christ. Now, when that happens, two things are going to happen simultaneously. He says that the dead in Christ will rise first. So those people that the Thessalonians have been worried about, the people that have died as believers, they are going to rise first. They're going to experience a resurrection. If you remember when Jesus was dying on the cross, Matthew records that the bodies of righteous people that had died long ago were resurrected and went in through the city. This has happened before. And God, by his power, is going to resurrect those who have died and give them their resurrection bodies. So they'll be coming out of their graves and formed into new bodies. I don't know how it's going to work with coming out and the bodies, but that's what he says is going to happen. And they're going to rise in the air to meet Jesus. But when that's happening, simultaneously, we're told that we who are still alive and are left, those of us that are still alive here, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so uh, Paul says, we're not going to be left behind either, that, that there's going to be this supernatural transformation that happens to us in our earthly bodies, and we too will get a heavenly body. Now, I don't know if you've watched Disney's latest rendition of Beauty and the Beast with Emma Watson, but the climax of that movie was when the beast has been transformed on the inside and he he lays dying as the last petal from the rose is falling and then bell kisses the beast and then suddenly there's this transformation supernatural transformation that happens and if you watch the movie there's this like glowing that happens and the body is all changed and it's clearly a supernatural uh, magical event well that's kind of a picture of what Paul is saying is going to happen to us. We're going to go through the supernatural translation so that our, our beast bodies will be changed into the bodies of a prince. And uh, we are going to be different and we're all going to meet Jesus in the air. And then Paul finishes that and said, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. And therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now think about that. We are promised by Jesus, the promise maker who never, ever faulted on a promise. We are promised he is going to return. Whether you're dead or alive, you're going to be transformed and meet me in the air. Encourage one another with these words. Now stop and think about this for a moment. Today, we could experience this. You could be going out to make lunch and it happens. It could be this week. It could be this month. It could be any time this year. COVID may end for us because we are going to be translated into the air with new resurrection bodies. It could, Jesus could come at any time. Now the question is, will you rejoice in that coming or will you regret in that coming? 
you know, if you're living with the end in mind, you'll rejoice. See, you'll, you'll either rejoice or regret about your my four, the people that God has given you to reach. When you see Jesus, you'll either rejoice about what's happened with them or you'll regret the opportunities you lost. You'll rejoice or you'll regret when it comes to your family. You'll have spent the time and the effort of pouring into their lives or you'll have neglected it. When it comes to your money, you'll rejoice or you'll regret. You, you'll regret if you've spent all your money on yourself. You'll rejoice if you've been a good steward of that money and used it for the kingdom. When it comes to your talents and your abilities, the gifts that God's given you, that, that, that he's given you to serve him, you will rejoice or you'll regret depending on how you've used them. When it comes to holiness and the, and, and the growth of Jesus in you, You'll either rejoice because you've been pursuing Christ or you'll regret it because you've ignored it or you've allowed sin to have a hidden place in your life. When it comes to prayer, you'll rejoice because you've been in faithful in prayer or you'll regret because you've just let it go and never really learned how to pray in your life. When it comes to the word, you'll rejoice because you know it and you understand Jesus or you'll regret because you lost all that time and never made an effort to grow in him. When it comes to giving account of your life, you'll either rejoice or regret. You'll rejoice if you put your faith in Jesus Christ or you'll regret because you delayed and waited and never did make a decision to put your faith in Christ. You know, if we live with the end in mind so that when the archangel shouts and the uh, trumpet blows and Jesus descends and we're transformed, that means that we'll have been making decisions in life right now about our prayer lives, about our money, about our sex, about what we watch on TV, about how we witness to people around us, about obedience when the Spirit prompts us. We'll have been living in a way that will rejoice when that end comes. Maybe right now is a good time for a prayer to go up from your heart that says, God, is there any area of my life that I'll regret when I meet you, meet with you? Could you point that out to me? so I can begin the change and live now so that in the end, I'll rejoice, not regret. I wanna to talk to those of you that have not made that decision to put your faith in Jesus. What's holding you back? Why are you stopping? An end is coming when we all will have to give an account of our lives, you, me, all of us. You see, that's why Jesus died. Our sin separates us from God like any sin separates us from any other person. When we sin against them, they move away from us in the relationship, they're hurt. And so by our sin, we have injured our relationship with God. But how do you atone for, how do you make up for uh, the hurt that you've done the, when you sinned against God? Well, that's why Jesus came. He took our place on the cross. And he, being both man and God, paid for our sin so that we could take or join him in his place in relationship with God and be reconciled to God. And that happens when we are willing to put our faith in Jesus. And what's it mean to put your faith in Jesus? It just means this, that you're willing to admit that you're sinful, that you're broken, that you've sinned against God. B, you're willing to believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was done for us to pay for our sins. That's what pays for our sins, Him taking our place. And then C, you're you choose to surrender your life 
to follow God in obedience and say, this is your life now, Lord. I, I'll, what you tell me, that's what I'll do. So the end is coming. We know that. Are you prepared for the end? And if not, why not? What's holding you back? Right now, right today, you can pray a simple prayer, that ABC prayer. Lord, I admit that I'm a sinful. I admit that I have broken relationship with you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And now today I choose to surrender my life to follow you. So what's the most common question when we talk about Jesus returning? It's always when. When is this going to happen? Well, Paul kind of talks about that in the next chapter. This topic flows from out of chapter four right into chapter five. He says, now brothers and sisters, about the times and dates we do, do not need to write to you. We don't need to tell you about this. We've already told you this. It's clear. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come. Now he's going to tell them when the day of the Lord is coming, like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly. As in labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. There's three things Paul tells us about the coming. He doesn't tell us exactly when it's going to happen, but he tells us that it will happen. Notice he says, you know very well it will come like a thief in the night. Well, most good thieves don't ever want you to know that they're in your business or in your home. So it, we, we just don't know when they're there and it happens and we didn't even know that it happened. We didn't even know it was coming. They don't send a card ahead of time to tell you they're going to rob their house. They want to be gone before you ever even knew it happened. And that's the way it's going to be with Jesus. It's just totally unexpected. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. In fact, a lot of people that are left behind are going to wonder what happened. The next thing he says about it is that while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. So people will be thinking like, hey, we're okay. Everything's okay. Uh, it'll be like the people uh, um, at, with Noah and his ark. As he was building an ark, it took him 125 years to build that ark. And he was preaching. People asked, why are you building the ark? Rain is going to come and flood the earth. And people were like, nah, it's not going to happen. You're crazy. They laughed at him. They mocked at him until, of course, the rain came. And you see, that's people are going to be saying, this, this Jesus coming back, that's not going to happen. And then it's going to happen. And so people will be thinking that everything's okay. And then it will be a done event because they didn't believe and trust in the word of Jesus. And then the third thing he says about it, it'll be like labor pains on a pregnant woman. They will not escape. You know, the thing about pregnancy is the labor pains are going to come. They're inevitable. And so Jesus says, you won't expect it. You're going to think, every, people are going to think everything's okay. That's never going to really happen. They're not going to believe it. And, but this is completely, absolutely going to happen. It's inevitable. We don't know when Jesus is going to return, but we do know that he is going to return. He's promised. And he's looking for people that live with the end in mind, that believe his word and what he says is going to happen, and so live in a way that they will rejoice that he has returned. And I want to say to Springville, I want to say to us as a church, to you as a church, I am so thankful and I'm so proud of this church. Have we got our problems? Of course we have our problems. But you have remained faithful. And this church has remained faithful to Jesus, been a light in this community for over 160 years. That's faithfulness. Sure, we as a church have had our problems and issues, 
but we have kept seeking God. And I look forward to the day when we stand before God, all of us that have ever attended Springvale, and God goes, yeah, you had your problems, but this, you've had faithfulness. You've continued to be a light. You've continued to seek me in your, my word. You've continued to seek me in prayer. You've continued to reach out to people around you. You've continued to be a light in your community. Well done. And so I want to say to you ahead of time that in the end, if we continue in our faithfulness, that we are going to hear that from Jesus. Well done, Springvale. Now, Paul fin fin finishes up this whole section with saying, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So you shouldn't be shocked by this day. You know this is coming. You know the end. And so you are not all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to darkness. So then, let us not be like others. We don't belong to the darkness. Clearly he's using night and darkness as a metaphor for those who disobey God and light for those who walk with God. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and let us be sober. We are children of the light and so we ought to walk in the light. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And he's, saying, he's just picking up some behaviors that this is what usually happens. People sleep at night, and when you're asleep to God, you're a person of the darkness. And drunkenness is a sin that he chooses to say, you know, when people sin and have sinful behavior, it's generally associated with nighttime behavior. They're people of the night, is what Paul's trying to say. But since we belong to the day, not to the night, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we, we have been changed. We belong to a whole new kingdom. We're the people of the light. And we ought to be living like the light. Now, just as an aside, I find it interesting that Paul uses the term, uses drunkenness as an example of sinful behavior. It's not the only sinful behavior, but he, he chooses it because it's familiar. And it's familiar in our context, too. You know, in churches like ours, in the last, um, oh, 20, 25, 30 years ago, drunkenness was really unheard of. Like, people drank, but not a lot. And, it was really frowned upon and it was really promoted to be abstinent. Of course, as people read the scriptures and found out scripture doesn't forbid alcohol, we seem to make a total swing in the opposite direction. What was godliness before was abstinence, but now it's like, hey, do what you want. And I just want to stop and talk to you for a second on this. Listen to me. If you can't drive home without fear of being stopped after you've been somewhere drinking, then you're in sin. Drinking alcohol in itself is not a sin, but drinking it to become drunk is a problem in our churches. And we are people of the light. So let's stop acting like people of the night and instead walk as people in the light. Let's remember the end in mind when we're dealing with situations like this. Finally, Paul says, uh, he died for us so that whether we are awake or sleep, we may live together with him. He's pulling back that whole idea that he had earlier in this, that, hey, Jesus died for us, so we belong to him. Um, uh, so he's not going to throw us out. He's not going to drop us. So let's live in a way that we trust him and follow him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just in fact as you are doing. You know, I've heard that there was a record number of golfers that went out golfing this past week since the restrictions were lifted and people were able to get onto a golf course. 
you know, some are great golfers, some are no good at all, some have just started, some are somewhere in between. But it doesn't matter what your skill level is, every golfer does the same thing before they tee off. At some point, they look at a course map or sign and go, where is the flag? Because that's where I want to end up. And where the flag is will determine what club the person uses and what direction they hit the ball. Every golfer before the tee off begins with the end in mind. They know where they want to end. Now some hit and get there quickly. Others, like me, take a few various different routes to get to the hole. But it doesn't matter if it's a good shot or a bad shot. Before every shot I take, I reorient myself to where I want to go, to the end. And then I act in a way that will get me to the end. Well, Paul's been saying the same thing. We know the end. We know where we want to go. We know how it's all going to unfold. So act in a way today that will make the end a time of rejoicing, not a time of regret. Don't get caught up with living for the things this world says are important because they will pass and we will regret the time and the energy and the money that we have spent on things, maybe even good things, but that are temporal. And instead, let's know, let's focus on the things that will bring us that well done, good and faithful servant when we finally get to meet Jesus. Now, for all of you that have been faithful, keep on being faithful. As we know our end, it will be worth it. Your faithfulness, difficult at times, is worth it. Keep walking with Jesus. For all of those of you that are struggling, keep struggling. Yeah, sometimes you'll fall and you'll feel terrible and you'll, you'll wonder, well, how can I be a Christian? Well, you can be because struggling is part of being a Christian. Just don't give up. Get the help that you need to get. Get people alongside. Get people praying with you, talking with you, loving you, but keep struggling because in the end, it'll be worth it. We know it. For those of you that are ignoring your salvation, who, who have left, let sin have its place in your life, hiddenness that you're not fighting, you're not getting rid of, you're hiding it and, and keeping it and, and enjoying it. I challenge you, walk away from your sin. Do whatever you gotta do. Tell whoever you gotta tell. Confess whatever you gotta confess. Start walking in the light. And then for those of you that have not yet received Jesus as your savior, I say to you, it's time to put your faith in Jesus. Today is the day. If you don't, your end will be different than the end I've been describing here because when Jesus calls, you won't be one of those that will be raised to life with him. So I encourage you today, admit your sin, believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, and choose to surrender your life in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for Springvale. Thank you for the faithfulness you have bred into this church. Thank you for the years of being light in this community. And my prayer for our church is that you would keep us faithful, that we would trust your word. We know the end. Now may we live today with our my four, with our money, with our families, with our jobs, our co-workers. May we live in a way that we will rejoice when our end comes when you return, when the archangel shouts and the trumpet blasts and you return, may that be a time of rejoicing, not regret for us. Jesus, we pray to you asking for your filling of your spirit and your help. Amen. Amen.